ever. Beautiful job. Hey, morning, Freeway. How are we this morning? We good? Yeah, good to be here. We're working our way through our Summer Psalm series, the classics. And uh, it was inevitable, I guess, that we would come to Psalm uh, 23 at some point uh, in, in this series. Psalm 23 is one of the most familiar and most well-known psalms. It's kind of like the Lord's the Lord's prayer. Even people who, for whom faith in God is an, an, just a normal, a natural rhythm of their life, they they know of this psalm. They turn to this psalm uh, when they face their their darkest valleys or when they face uh, trials and that in their lives. Psalm 23 isn't just a, a classic psalm for us Christians. Psalm 23 has become somewhat of a, a cultural icon. It turns up at gravesides. It turns up at, in funerals, in prayers, beside hospital beds, in, in hospital vigils, as people approach death, or, or it turns up when people approach overwhelming odds in life. It even turns up in movies. It, it, it turned up in movies like uh, Clint Eastwood's Pale Rider, a full metal jacket, and the movie Jarhead, which has probably got a take on the Lord's Psalm that you don't really want to uh, repeat in church. But it turns up in movies like We Were Soldiers. It even turns up in Titanic as the, as the ship's slowly uh, sinking to the bottom of the ocean. It's been set to music by artists like Kanye West in, in his song Jesus Walks before he was actually uh, converted, or Coolio's Gangster's Paradise. By you too, it's been put to music. The Grateful Dead, Alice Cooper, Good Charlotte, all make use of Psalm 23. And a band I know that you all have uh, on your playlist, Megadeth. (laughs) Thrash metal band from my youth. Their song literally is called um, The Valley of Death. And and, and it is literally just the Lord's Psalm. They just recite the Lord's Psalm in King James English with just a heap of thrash metal behind it. Psalm 23 turned up in President George Bush's address to the nation after 9-11. Became part of their psyche in that. What makes Psalm 23 so attractive to us? Why is it that it, that it seeps its way not just in, in, in the Christian church but into the expressions of our culture? And I think it's this, because deep, deep down inside we long for what it describes. The reality of a God who, who cares, who protects, who guides and who nurtures. A God who is, who is with us in all things. A God who is bringing contentment and peace in the hardest of trials of life. Is there such a God? The mantra of our culture, of our, oh, sorry, the most of our cultural interactions with this psalm express themselves in, in, in like a hopeless lament. It's said like a hopeless lament as, a, as the Titanic sinks to the bottom of the ocean. Or like a mantra, a call for, for justice, for social justice, as you too do uh, in their song, Raised by Wolves. A call for something to be done about what is wrong with the world. Certainly that's how Megan Wheeler uh, praise through Psalm 23 in, in Clint Eastwood's movie Power Rider. She's burying her dog after it's been killed by the, the villains that, that, that come into the town there, the gold mining settlement. And she puts her own commentary uh, into this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, but I do want. He leadeth me beside still waters, he restoreth my soul, but they killed my dog. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, but I am afraid. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. But, but we need a miracle. Thy loving kindness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. If you exist, that is, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But, but I'd like to get more out of this life first. If you don't help us, we're all going to die. Please, just one more miracle. Amen. Well, this psalm is not written as though it's a plea for help. It's not written as the aspirations of someone facing the darkest valleys. It's not written as someone crying out against social or political injustice. It is not an uncertain petition or a mantra to a transcendent, distant and even doubtful God. It is a psalm of David who is writing from the perspective of his experience and knowledge of God's steadfast presence and renewal. Rather than doubt, this is a psalm about known confidence, about known trust in a God who has been with David in very real ways that have, that have guided him like a shepherd, restored him. And even esteemed him as an honored friend, an honored, an honored guest in the presence of God. The thoughtful reader of this psalm is forced to ask then, is God with me like this? Do I know the Lord as my shepherd? My shepherd who esteems me. That's what psalms do. They help us to think appropriately about God and our lives. They give us language and framework. Uh, to take hold of, of the divine, transcendent attributes of God, if you like, and pull them down into our everyday life through prayer, through worship, through, through practice. So that rather than writing songs and making movies about what we lack, about what we hope that God might be like or, or come to us like, virtually questioning the goodness of God, if he's real, that is, we say in our souls, the Lord is my shepherd who is with me, who esteems me. Now let's pray and get to work. Loving Father, our shepherd God, this morning as we gather around your word, as we've come and we've, we've sung about your goodness to us and, and how we know you, uh, would you um, warm our hearts with affection for you again, renew in us a confidence and a trust in you as we look into this psalm. Would your corrective uh, shepherding hand confront us in areas of life where we, where we, where we, uh, where we don't trust, where, where we live in rebellion to uh, the way you would guide and lead us? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first line of this psalm, it sums up, if you like, David's worldview, how he just completely understands the world. David is not merely uh, trying to make sense out of his personal experience of God. It's not his, his just merely his well-considered thoughts uh, that, that, that turn up in, a, in the vacuum of life. As, as king of Israel, as Israel's shepherd himself, the first thing that a king of Israel does when they, when they come into power, he's just the second one, is write their own personal copy of the scriptures from which he was to lead Israel in their faith, worship and life. 
When it comes to thinking about God, David begins and has begun with the revelation of God to him, not merely his musings, not merely how he tries to put together and understand life. His Bible that he has, the scriptures that David has uh, that, that he would use are full of descriptions of God, God as great creator, God as warrior, as king, God as deliverer of his people, rescuing his people. God is transcendently powerful over all of Israel. He is their God and, and, and they are his people. David knows that Yahweh, the Lord, is the creator and the sustainer and the guider of all things, which God just does effortlessly, without resistance or frustration. Nothing is too hard for the Lord, as God had pointed out to Abraham. And nothing is unknown. The earth is the Lord and everything in it is how David would start the next psalm, Psalm 24. But here in Psalm 23, when David, when he thinks about how God has been toward him, he draws on a well-known biblical metaphor of the shepherd. And like his ancestor Jacob, David pulls down all that transcendent awe. He pulls it down to the ground and he says, actually, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the king, the, the warrior, the Lord is my Shepherd, all through this psalm, mine, me, I, personal. Not the God of the universe. Not just the great warrior king of Israel, but his personal shepherd. The God who is with me. Who leads me. Who restores me and esteems me in the highs and the lows of life. Or as Jacob had said to Joseph, all of my life to this day, God has been my shepherd. And that's how David has come to understand the Lord. That's his claim. That's his worldview. For David and anyone who knows God like this, having a shepherd like this is to have access to every need of the human condition. If the Lord is my shepherd then there is nothing outside his capacity that he isn't able to apply to my needs. And there's nothing outside of his being that couldn't possibly be of greater comfort, of greater assurance to me. For this shepherd lacks nothing I need. This is not Yahweh, who, the Lord who shepherds us by giving us everything we desire. Rather, we have in God a shepherd who lacks nothing that we need. And the reader is forced to ask the question, do I know the Lord like this? Do I know who, my, him as my shepherd like this? One in whom I lack nothing. David begins to flesh out now how God applies his shepherding to his life. And he writes from the view of being a sheep. These are metaphors that David applies with ease because prior to God uh, intervening in his life and appointing him, anointing him as king of Israel, David was a shepherd. And he moved from shepherding his sheep for his father Jesse to shepherding Israel as king. But now David flips it all over and he views the world as a sheep. The psalm is written from the eye view of a sheep. This is not a complimentary image. It's not a warm fuzzy image it's a statement of dependency it's a statement of inadequacy it's a statement of need 
David is saying there is, there is something about God that you cannot encounter until you see yourself as a sheep. Uh, Josh and I were in the, the, in, up in my office on Thursday just wrestling around with this psalm and he came up with that great phrase. There's something about God that you cannot understand until you see him like a sheep. Before this psalm can be a comfort, it must be a psalm of offense. It must be a psalm of insult. To see yourself as a sheep means you understand your sinfulness and your helplessness and your powerlessness and your inability to rescue yourself from this condition, to change this condition, this, this position before God. That's the reality of a sheep. Completely helpless, completely vulnerable, completely defenseless. Anything from a fly to a bear can kill a sheep. Sheep will blindly walk into danger repeatedly. They just simply don't learn. Uh, Aaron and I, when we're out on our um, conservation retreats, uh, shoring up the environment, we've rescued sheep from dams, from, from fences, uh, from predators and death that they just constantly, continuously, stupidly walk into. And that is us, David says, prone to death until we encounter God as shepherd. And now David, from this eye view of understanding a sheep, now he paints a picture of the idyllic life of the sheep who is led by the shepherd and not their own inadequacies. David is well aware of how shepherds, how he as a shepherd, how he would, he would constantly uh, be on the move looking for pastures, looking for water, so his sheep were well fed and well watered. However, this shepherd is not on the move uh, so much uh, moving his sheep about in search of pasture but rather he is their pasture he is their water still water while they're on the move it's life at the side of the shepherd that is like green pasture that is like deep still water david is saying it's painting a picture of contentment the lord is my shepherd in that he is my contentment. I lack nothing in the shepherd. My soul is satisfied. It's at rest beside the shepherd. It's at peace beside the shepherd. It's like a sheep in lush green pastures beside a deep, clear pool. And again, the question is, do you know the shepherd? Do you know God like uh, this? Paul would later write about this and say, I know what it is to be content. I have found my Lord. And I know what it is to be content in all things. I know what it is to be content in, 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 in when I'm lacking, when I have nothing, when I'm chained in prison. I know what it is to have great um, abundance when I'm living in the house of Lydia. I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. Paul is using the same kind of language of contentment. Thinking again like a sheep, David says, He restores or he refreshes my soul. This word restore or refresh means to to reanimate or to animate, to bring to life, back to life something that's dead or dying. It's, it's an initiative to rescue and save, to redeem that which has led itself into danger, that which has led itself into death. David, as the shepherd boy, has become king of Israel and he has succeeded like nobody else has succeeded. But David, as the king of Israel, has failed just like everybody else has failed and probably uh, worse than everybody else. I mean, David really doesn't miss anyone in his sin. 
He has made such a mess of his life, no doubt. And he wonders how he will go, how he will move forward. And, you know, if you read Psalm 13, that's that, there's that prayer there of how long, O Lord. But he says, the Lord is my shepherd here. He restores my soul. Maybe David is thinking of himself as a cast sheep. A sheep becomes cast when due to its own stupidness, own reckless behavior, it ends up on its back. And all its bodily weight shifts and acts like an anchor holding it there. And it will flail. I don't know if you've ever seen a cast sheep like this, but they flail around and they will stay like this until they die. Cast sheep, once they're in this position, can't save themselves. Only if the shepherd finds it and sets it back on its feet. Only if the shepherd comes and restores it, brings it back to life. Can the sheep be helped? The Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul when, I, when it's cast into sin. When I recklessly wander my own path of self-sufficiency. For David, God has been a, a gracious, merciful, loving shepherd towards him. Correcting him. Restoring him. Do you know God like this? A shepherd who heals your sinful soul? A shepherd who comes and restores your brokenness. Restoration is the activity of the shepherd to the sheep who know their caste, who know they need help. The phrase that comes next, pass of righteousness, is a bit of an ambiguous phrase. Don Carson, he calls it a planned ambiguity. It could mean pass of righteousness, how you live, or it could mean right paths, like how you get there. In either case... The metaphor of the path is is well known to represent the journey of life. Journeying with the shepherd means being on the right path. Whether the path is difficult or comfortable, if the shepherd has you on it, it means you're on the correct one to bring about righteousness, a right relationship with God and those around you, an increasing love for God and neighbor. When the cast sheep is restored like this, set on these paths, then it is the name of the shepherd that is glorified. It's the name of the shepherd that is made much of. And David says, that's right, the shepherd does all this for his name's sake. This is the central assuring theological truth of the psalm. None of his shepherding presence come to us or is done for us based on our merit, on our ability to influence God, on, on our ability to say a mantra or some kind of impassioned plea. God is a shepherd to us because of his goodness. His goodness compels him because of his steadfast love that overflows. Because turning cast lost sheep in, in, in sin, into content sheep. Resting in him brings glory to his name. And God is for his glory. And this psalm says that our joy, your joy, our contentment is attached to God's glory. Not God's glory is attached to our joy. If the highest priority of God is his glory, and it is, and it must be, if something else uh, took priority in God's life, then that something is what we should all find and worship. Then that something is God. But God is God and he is for his glory. And if our joy is attached to God being for his name, 
in our lives, restoring our lives, then there will be nothing God holds back to bring us joy. There will be nothing that can get in the way of this. There will be nothing we will lack. There will be nothing that can separate us and there can be nothing that disqualifies us. The shepherd shepherding comes about because of his goodness, not ours. Because of his mercy and loving kindness. And the question is, do you know God like this? Does God's presence in your life have restorative work? Is it dealing with sin? Is it turning cast sheep into content sheep, into restored sheep? It's this commitment of God, of the shepherd, that David experiences even in the darkest valley of his life. The ESV has it, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and, and that's how Coolio uses it in his song, and that's how most translations use it. The different translations of this come from the placement of the vowels in the Hebrew uh, phrase, in the Hebrew word. Uh, Hebrew words don't have vowels, so we place them in. The valley of the shadow of death has the vowels pushing the metaphor to the, to the worst possible crisis. David says, my shepherd is a shepherd who never leaves me or forsakes me. No matter how messed up I make my life. Or or, or how messed up others make my life. Or even if my life is approaching death or death should approach me. My shepherd goes where no other friend will go. No other guide will go. Because his presence is with me, not based on... On, on my goodness, on my abilities, but his. His presence with me is not deterred by any awkward or uncomfortable environment or thing I might have done because his presence is with me. It is not limited to the, to the finite limits of this life either, even death. The shepherd is not like that ubiquitous guide in the movies who always takes the hero or the main character uh, uh, to a certain point, you know, in the boat or whatever it is, takes them to a certain point and says, aha, I can go no farther. You must go the rest of the journey by yourself because there's something really bad there or some powerful force on the other side of the ravine or the jungle or through the door. David says, my shepherd simply pulls out his rod which is a weapon a shepherd uses to fight off predators, rustlers and evildoers. And his staff, which is the the crook of the shepherd, used to correct the sheep, used to guide the sheep. God uses his shepherdly attributes to protect and comfort and guide and keep us in the darkest night of our souls. So that the threat of evil, the threat of evil, the attack on your faith, does not shape our way forward, does not have the final say in who or or what we are. David is so moved by this. No longer, he no longer speaks about the shepherd in the third person, but in the second person. No longer is God referred to as he, he does this or he does that. But as if David is speaking to God himself in person, you, you are with me. God with me in all things. Not because I'm worthy, but because he is merciful and he is kind and he is loving towards cast sheep. Is God your shepherd like this? 
in the dark night of the soul, in the darkest valley. David has shifted in his speech not only about how he speaks about God, but about how God moves towards him. The shepherd now treats his sheep like no ordinary shepherd would. The shepherd now shares fellowship with the sheep. The shepherd is now a banquet host and David is the esteemed guest. Hinted throughout this psalm has been the the presence of an adversary and now that adversary is named the enemies. Enemies are always people or powers that work to destroy the faith of a person. The relationship we have with the shepherd. Certainly in David's life there has been uh, had m- many people have had many opportunities to to deride him and ask him, you know, where is your God now, David? Certainly in David's life, he has allowed circumstances and environments to shape that internal voice to be a greater reality in his life than the word of God. Enemies are not just external, but they can be internal. They can be the voice of doubt or anxiety that seeks to rob you of your contentment, disrupt the rest and peace of your soul. Enemies seek and try to destroy your relationship with the shepherd primarily by discrediting God, by discrediting the the, the shepherd's presence and power in your life. Your circumstances and environments uh, become greater realities than the presence of the shepherd himself david says that god esteems me before my enemies it's an extraordinary picture that david paints of god serving him god playing host to david preparing a lavish meal for him anointing his head with oil god's provision for david his care and his protection of david are experienced in the midst of the traumas and the trials of life are experienced when when the enemies come. It is in those spaces that God is most active, that God is serving David. It's one thing to be invited to the meal and recognized as God's friend, to have fellowship with God. But to have your head anointed with oil means that you are the esteemed guest of honor. It means that you are under the the special and particular protection of the host and the guest. You are both esteemed and safe when the enemies come. This is the shepherd's personal addressing of your needs and it is not miserly or inadequate. Your cup will constantly be tended to. You will even overflow. You will lack for nothing. The overflowing cup is also a symbol of God's salvation. It is the opposite to the cup of judgment. The darkest valley is, this, is the circumstances and environments. Is, is not necessarily, when the enemies come, is not necessarily an opportunity for God or is not an opportunity for God to crush us in judgment. But rather, that is the very time where God comes and restores us in salvation, in bringing his grace to cast sheep. This is how God deals with our enemies. He esteems us. He protects us. He restores us before them in their presence. The one who is for his glory is now seen amongst his sheep. God who is with us, serving our needs, restoring our souls, 
The banquet table is just another setting of God's mercy, of God's loving kindness toward David that he has known throughout his life. This is how God has been toward him. And the question is, again, is this how you know God? God with you? Is this how you would pray this psalm? Or do you use it as culture uses it? Is it merely a mantra? Or a plea to try and compel God to act out there. That's if he is real. Or is God the one who calms and esteems you? Who anoints your head with oil? David signs off by saying surely. And he says not a speculative surely. But a a certain surely. Because God is for his name. This is how he will be toward me for the length of my days. I will be pursued, pursued. The, the, the word follow is kind of a bit passive. It really should be aggressive. It should be, I'll be pursued by his ascend, his goodness, his mercy and love all the days, the length of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord, which means I will know the presence of God in my life forever. Which here does not mean eternity, but, it, but means actually the length of his days. However, in Jesus we discover that not even death, not even the length of the ending of the length of our days separate us from the shepherd, separate the sheep from the shepherd, separate the the attendee from, from the host's banquet table, that not even death takes your chair from that table. Well, this psalm is not what we would call a messianic psalm in that it, that it says something about Jesus before he turns up. When Jesus does turn up, he takes upon himself the metaphor that David and the Bible apply specifically to God. That God is the shepherd, the great shepherd. Jesus comes and applies that to himself. In fact, in John 10, Jesus says, I'm not just any old shepherd But I am the good shepherd. I am the ultimate shepherd. Here Jesus applies the role of God in our lives to himself. Earlier in this passage, Jesus has said he is not merely the shepherd, but he is also the pen. He's also the door. And that in him and through him, cast sheep find green pastures and abundant life. This shepherd does not abandon his sheep when the dark valley comes does not flee when the enemy seeks to destroy them, but rather this shepherd fights, stands, gives his life in order that the sheep will be safe, safe from the enemy, safe from the ultimate of evil. But the giving of this life does not leave the sheep without a shepherd. It is actually the means through which he brings us into his sheepfold. It is the means through which he he makes a, a, a space at the table for us. It is the means through which his goodness and mercy are applied to our lives. It is the place where cast sheep like you and I are restored, are refreshed. The cross is like the rod and the staff of the shepherd, if you like. The cross is where Jesus deals with the sin, the great enemy of our soul. Jesus becomes a cast sheep so we can become an esteemed sheep. Jesus says... It's intimate. It's relational. My sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. 
and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We're the same shepherd. It is at the cross that you see that God who is for his glory, for his name, is also for our joy and restoration. Because the cross is where you see the extent of God's pursuit of cast sheep. The cross is where cast sheep are restored, are made secure and safe, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. Paul, writing about this new reality in Romans 8, said, What can separate us from the love of God, from the love of Jesus whose love is demonstrated in giving his life, whose power to save and keep us uh, and shepherd us is demonstrated in his rising himself back to life. What can separate us from that? Can tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? No, neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present or things to come. No powers, no heights, no depth. And just in case you think you're clever and you can go and find something that might separate you from the love of God, he says, Actually, nothing else in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God with us, the shepherd. Not because you or I have done something, but because we realize that we can't do anything, that we need the shepherd's goodness and mercy to replace our sin and rebellion, our castness. At the cross, God is with us in the most profound way, seeing all our ugliness and anointing us with oil so that we can sit at his table forever. As sheep, we must realize that we are far more cast than we dare admit, but the shepherd loves us far more than we dare imagine. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this psalm that speaks so wonderfully of your care and your initiating love toward us that you would take cast sheep and you would restore them and make them uh, content and, 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 and blessed in you. We thank you that in Jesus this prayer of David that he knew personally in his life is, is applied to us, becomes a reality in our lives, that we too can say this psalm not like a mantra or, or, or like some vain hope, but it is actually a song of our heart. Would it refresh us? Would it restore us? Would it con- continually convict us of the good shepherd who corrects and restores and esteems us in his presence? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.